Blog Talk Radio. A tragic image from the southern border reveals the grim reality facing many Central American migrants who make the dangerous journey. We warn you, the photo you're about to see is disturbing. It shows a young father and his 23-month-old daughter who died trying to cross the Rio Grande in South Texas. They were found in shallow water a few hundred yards from where they tried to cross. The girl is still clinging to her father's neck. Omar Villafranca is outside a border facility in Clint, Texas. Omar, what do we know about this father and his child? Well, good morning. The father, Oscar uh, Alberto Martinez Ramirez, and his family had traveled from El Salvador, and they were hoping to claim asylum in the U.S., and they had actually uh, been around the border for a while when they decided on Sunday uh, to try to cross the Rio Grande. She says her husband and daughter made it across on the first attempt, but when he tried to go back for his wife, the toddler tried to follow and fell into the water. And again, I want to warn you, this picture is tough to look at. She says Martinez grabbed the toddler, but the two were swept away by the current, and they could not get out. Now, this tragic story comes as we are learning more about the migrant children who are being held in government facilities like the one behind me. Uh, it's worth noting that 100 children were returned here yesterday after more than 300 had been removed after reports came out that they were living in absolutely horrible conditions. CBP says they have less than 1,000 unaccompanied children in custody, and they're using this facility again to help streamline the transfer of the migrant children to the Department of Health and Human Services. Now, lawyers who inspected the facility last week told us that they talked to children who said that they were still hungry. They weren't able to shower or have access to soap that often. And also, they were sleeping on the hard concrete floors. But a CBP official told us, and I want to quote this, I personally don't believe these allegations. Gail? It is very tough to look at that picture. That picture says a lot. Thank you very much, Omar. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where tonight the horrific nightmare at the border continues. And I'll tell you right now, folks, this is a tragedy. It is inhumane. It is a look of horror to the children and also our immigrant brothers and sisters, along with these children, are dying the death of really of the most horrific proportions you can imagine. How does this happen in America, how does it happen? Tonight, we focus on the nightmare at the border. And I'll tell you what, it's getting worse. Hang on, folks. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Kendrick Barnes, Samson Riddle, William Williams, and Cliff Stewart, and the entire AJC radio team tonight, as we focus on a topic that is really huge proportions of abuse, sexual assault, inhumane living conditions at a level that only one can imagine. And uh, Samson, as we get involved with this, this is going to be a very informative show but very difficult as you cannot possibly imagine 
that the treatment and the death of children is not being taken seriously with this border crisis. No, you're absolutely right, Lamont. And if people would just take a minute, listen to the, the facts that we're going to present here, and try and you know, put yourself in the situation of these children, these families that are being ripped apart. I mean, you have them being you know, held in conditions that they call the icebox, some they call the dog cage. And, I mean, they're giving substandard everything, substandard food, substandard living, substandard medical uh, attention, everything like that. These people are being, I mean, like you said, they're handcuffed, they're abused, they're beaten, they're raped. I mean, they're, they're going through the entire gambit of atrocities that can, you know, happen to a person. And most of them are 15 years old or younger. And I just, I hope that our listeners out there have their ears wide open and are tuned in to the sensitivity that is around this subject. Oh, without question. And we're going to hear a lot of this tonight. Uh, uh, and we're going to get to that here on the other side of the break. But, uh, William, what are your thoughts dealing with this type of issue that we've never seen in this country before, that you are asking folks to drink water out of the toilet down to the fact that kids are crying, saying they're hungry, they're not given enough food, they're, not, they're, they're sitting in soiled clothes. They're sitting in their feces at times. What is going on here? Well, I was on social media yesterday, and the thing that really came to my mind was this is the first time we've ever seen really uh, a concentration camp type of mentality that people are treated so inhumane and our government literally sits there and justifies the conditions. They pass the buck. They try to say, well, you know, these other agencies need to, to help and, and help with the conditions we are seeing overpopulation in these camps. These people are seeking asylum. They're, they're seeking a better way of life. That's what this country was founded on. And yet they're greeted with this kind of treatment where they're treated less than animals. And it's amazing. The, the pictures that have recently surfaced showed just the overcrowding in these areas. The, the Border Patrol officials are saying, you know, I, we can't do anything about uh, the conditions. It's part of, I believe, it's Homeland Security that, that needs to, or DHS or which one it was, that um, they're going to help to help with the crowding. But he's saying we, we can't do anything about, you know, if they don't want to take showers. And they were asking them, the news media and reporters were asking, well, what about these conditions that we're hearing? What about their, the food, the water? What's happening? Why? And it was constant excuse after excuse after excuse why these people were being treated this way in cages and literally on top of each other. Yes. And it's, it's incredible. I mean, I, I, could not, I could not think of any other way of thinking about it except for we're 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 living this time of these concentration camps it's basically that's what that's the notion when if you if you've read anything about world war ii and you, and the conditions there that the that the germans had uh, you know imposed on the jews uh this was this is this kind of thing this is we're seeing it again and, see it. And, we, and we shouldn't. I mean, where we have lost all sense of humanity. We've lost a sense of that this country were was founded 
by people that were fleeing oppression. Well, when is it okay that children die? Never. Since somebody answered that for me, when is it okay that a toddler and her father trying to cross over die? And they are laughed at and mocked and made fun of. You have a child holding on to the neck of her father. It's a disgrace. We're going to get into that, and we're going to be joined by Elizabeth Mack here at the bottom of the hour. She's an organizer and writer for the We Are, the, we Are Them project. Uh, very much concerned about what we're saying at the border. She's going to give her insight on that. And we're going to also be joined by uh, Kaysom Rashid. Uh, he's running for the Virginia Senate, Senate uh, District for District 28. He's going to give his thoughts on what's going on. Uh, I'll tell you what, he's going to be joining us at, at the top of the hour. So we're going to get into some very good discussions here tonight uh, regarding the nightmare at the border. This is part one. This is part one of our series on the nightmare at the border. So part two will be next week. Again, tell all your friends to call and listen to the show tonight. The number is 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. Your voice needs to be heard on this matter. We ask that you call in and give your comments about the tragedy uh, at the border uh, dealing with the lives of these our immigrant brothers and sisters and children. So we're going to get into discussion with that. Right now, before we go to break, to come back with our first segment, you heard probably yesterday black teenager was listening to rap music, and a white man alleged killed him for it. Uh, the suspect is in Elijah Al-Amin killing, reportedly said anyone who listens to rap music is a threat to him and the community. A white man suspected of killing a black teenager in Arizona reportedly claimed that he felt unsafe because the teen was listening to rap music. On July 4th, 70-year-old Elijah Al-Amin entered a Circle K convenience store in Peoria, Arizona. Shortly after getting off work, he was followed inside by 27-year-old Michael Paul Adams, who approached the teen from behind and allegedly stabbed him with a pocket knife and slit the boy's throat before fleeing the scene. Shortly after the incident, Adams was arrested near the store with blood on his hand and the knife still in his possession. A July 4th statement from the Peoria Police Department noted that officers were still looking for information about Adams' motive, but a July 5th report from the Arizona Republic said Adams allegedly attacked the teen he felt threatened by the music. Al-Amin was playing in his car. Adams told police rap music makes him feel unsafe because he had been attacked by people who listened to rap music in the past. The outlet reported citing police records filed in local court. He also said people who listen to rap music are a threat to him and the community. The report added that Adams said he was only threatened by the music and had no interactions with the team before stabbing him. Adams reportedly claimed he felt the need to be proactive rather than reactive. Adams has been charged with first-degree murder and is being held on a $1 million bond. Why don't someone please help me understand how a gentleman walking in a store, he's out of his car, he has no weapon, that you went up behind this young man, stabbed him, and slit his throat. As he was going in for a soda, do you believe that? Let, let me let me go ahead and define what the gentleman really meant. I saw an, another black person, and I decided we might as well kill another. A seventeen-year-old boy doing nothing wrong, doing.
doing nothing, not even no confrontation, no statements, no words being exchanged between the two, and you slit his throat. He should be given the death penalty. In my opinion, you took a life without cause. Well, what you have to realize is that there is a just some kind of, you know, something in the air where people don't value human life. It just has become that, well, you know, they they take this phrase, I felt threatened. I feel like my life was in danger. And if we look at where that phrase has come from and why a person would feel like that could be their justification is because when a police officer kills a young black man, armed, unarmed, running uh, toward a cop, running away, walking, trying to go into his home, getting in or out of his car at a stop, you know, the officer has stopped him and he's uh, trying to get his registration out. And what is the police officer's line on the reason why they say they shot that individual? I felt that my life or the life of my fellow officer was in danger. I felt threatened. And they have gotten away with it time and time and time again. And so now it's, it's trickling into the public that uh, any member of the public feels like, well, if the cops are getting away with shooting a young uh, black man and nobody does anything about it, maybe I can use the same excuse to say, well, I felt my life was threatening, was threatened. And so now I'm going to kill me a young black man and see if I can get the courts to excuse what I did. And the bottom line is the courts now have cases, case law that sets precedence that if a police officer whose job is to protect and serve can say, I felt threatened by an unarmed man, and that's why I killed him and get off, then the lay citizen can say the same thing. Well, I felt threatened. His music was threatening me. I heard some words in the music. Guaranteed that is going to be his defense in court. And if you remember, that's what George Zimmerman said about Exactly. I felt threatened. You attack the kid. Followed him. You start getting your butt kicked. And then you pull out a gun and shoot him and say, I was just standing my ground because suddenly I felt like my life was was threatened. And I, I am afraid to say it is a very good likelihood that this man make it off. Well, they, Just by saying, look, well, and, and we all look at it saying, no, that is stone cold, first degree murder. There is no threat there. This is a kid. That's the same thing that we said about George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. This is a kid walking down the street, going home with a bag of Skittles and a Gatorade. He ends up dead. And what happened? George Zimmerman is still walking around um, a free fool today. Samson. Yeah, I was just sitting there. He's like, he talks about how he was trying to be proactive over music. That it's, that's premeditation. Away from the car now. Away from the car. Where the music is coming from. And not only that, this, this man is like a decade junior to him. I mean, this kid, this is a kid. Yep. Probably still in high school, just like you said, going in to get a soda. And he's like, oh, because he had gotten beaten up in the past by somebody that played the same music. Well, now let's flip the roll around. What if he's out there blaring his country western music and, you know, somebody decides, oh, well, People playing country western music used to beat me up and stuff like that. See, that's the thing that society doesn't take the time to realize. They don't take the time to actually play this scenario out in their head. No, let's justify it. Like Cliff said, let's justify it. I felt threatened, so I'm going to go take a life. Premeditatedly take a life. 
and well, it, it's pathetic. I, I don't know how that defense flies. And then, like Cliff said, uh, we didn't think in any way Zimmerman would get off. But oh, no. killing this 17-year-old boy who he attacked, this man is away, stab the vehicle. If the vehicle is where the music is coming, stab the car. You wait till the man that gets out, who's not even confronted you, his back is turned, not a more cowardly act than that. You come up behind him and cut his throat. He's not even rapping. He's not even talking. He's happened to try to get a soda in the Arizona heat, a little relief, and he goes into a store to die. This is the most outrageous nonsense that I've ever heard in my life. This man is a born a bona fide racist. Yep. Because if you look at the numbers of the people that lack rap music, most of them are African-American folks. And rap is universal at this point, but this is somebody just wants to kill another black kid. That's just like, that's like saying, even as a white person, you walk into a country western bar, there's country music playing, you get in a fight, anybody that listens to country music, you go kill them? That's just insane. No, that's, that, that's totally insane. So... It's not the music. It's, it's, it's as you're saying, it's a race issue. It's a race And you're trying to blow a dog whistle to say, hey, I'm going to use the I was threatened. Wink, wink. Uh, you guys should let me go. Well, the eyewitnesses are saying themselves that there was not any type of confrontation. There wasn't even words exchanged by the admission of the, of the killer. They never even exchanged words. Yeah. Yeah. You just came up from a guy behind this guy and you killed him. That is a problem. We're going to discuss this further. Right now, folks, we deal with another nightmare at the border. Where will it stop? When will the body bags stop filling up with not only our immigrant brothers and sisters, but the kids, the children dying at the border? We deal with the nightmare at the border when we come back. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Look, right now, uh, while you look at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell and they didn't do much more than you did. You know, some crazy weekend, you didn't get caught. They got caught. 
and they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Koch Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America, and it's time to do something. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we deal with the nightmare at the border. And I'll tell you right now, and let's make it very clear, members of Congress have appeared on this show, several of them, over the few years, the last few years that we have been on the air. I'll tell you right now, tonight, a just called AJC Radio, sent a plea out to the members of Congress that we are very much aware that three members of Congress, four members of Congress, six, ten members of Congress cannot get the job done alone. Uh, and Cliff, we've had the opportunity, being in Washington, D.C., to talk to these members, had them on our show, and these members were heartfelt in the things they are trying to do, but it's going to take everybody coming together. And really, to be honest with you, Cliff, that starts on Pennsylvania Avenue as well as members of Congress coming together. Why the plea to Congress tonight as we send it out to our friends in the, on Capitol Hill asking them to please help these children? Exactly. I mean, it takes a bipartisan 
effort to get things like this done. I mean, if if no other effort could be seen as a reason for Congress to come together, come up with a bill, come up with a solution together, I mean, does the suffering of children not bring Congress together? That is supposed to be the beauty of the congressional uh, members and the legislative body is that the things that affect all of the people can be addressed by all of the members of Congress. I mean, they come together and say, look, we all, everybody who sees the news knows that there's a crisis down at the border, at these detention centers. The members of Congress who have been there, they've seen it. They've come back and said that it's horrendous. It's a horrendous situation that is just definitely not somewhere that you that you keep children. But we have to, as members of Congress, say, look, it's time to step up. It's time to make a decision. It is time to come to a conclusion and come together as one. Sure, everybody, that is the, that is the beauty of Congress, is that all the members of Congress can have a separate agenda. They can have separate things that they're going after. They can agree to disagree. They can argue. They can you know, be uh, totally against what the other party wants done. But in this situation, everybody, every member of Congress that has a heart, that uh, is a living human being, sees that this is an issue, a crisis that needs to be dealt with. We need Congress to come together and say, look, we will stand in front of the president and tell him we need to get this situation alleviated. And it's not, dif- it's not difficult to alleviate it. Uh, basically, you ap- uh, appropriate funds to to bring the conditions up to par. I mean, you're talking about bottled water, simple things, yeah. some bleach, uh, detergent, soap, well. deodorant. These simple things that can be appropriated immediately to alleviate this situation. And, uh, and and give us as American citizens, uh, as America, as a country, the, you know, just the feeling that, hey, you know, we as a country, we as a people care. Well, and, and Cliff, that's true. Kendrick, you remember on the, on the last trip we were at in Washington, the tears in the eyes of these members. Let me make no mistake about it. Let me be clear. These members that we and we've sat down with many, the heartbeat of these members of Congress was about we need to make changes. We need to do something. So I, we're not questioning the heart of members. No, it's there. Uh, and when you see a crisis on this magnitude, you are wanting action now. But again, understanding the process of this nation, we humbly request a plea to our members and our friends on Capitol Hill that we've had the privilege, not that we heard about. We talked to them. Kendrick, you remember. We, we talked to them and, and, and be assured these are beating heart, real, caring people, but they have a fight on their hands yes. because they're trying to get agendas moved, and they got to move as a group, and this is a big ship, and big ships take a good minute to turn around. Sure. So it's not to, it's not to criticize anyone, but it's to say, you know what, seeing that we all hands on this ship have to work together to get this to change, and we commend those congressmen. And hope more go down to the border. Yes. Because bringing attention to it and actually seeing it shows the crisis. And it's just not enough to 
to just try to hope this goes away, but to join those members of Congress and the Senate who want to show the better side of America that we're just, this is not us. Well, Representative Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, the, the really the trailblazer on Capitol Hill, the new elected member of Congress, she went down there and talked to a few people. And I'm telling you, she's all hands on deck when it comes to issues and definitely the, this immigration issue. Uh, said one of the women she spoke to described the treatment by border authorities being woken up at odd hours and calling them whores as psychological warfare. This has been horrifying so far. Cortez said in a tweet, we're talking systematic uh, cruelty with a dehumanizing culture that treats them like animals. Uh, Representative uh, Hakeem Castro said at the Border Patrol Station, a group of 15 to 20 mothers were held in a cell that had a toilet with no running water. There was a toilet, but no running water for people to drink. This is another representative from Capitol Hill that went down there and said, hands on. We need to see what's going on. So, again, we plead with Congress tonight from AJC Radio, Just Calls, let's come together, whatever we can do. Again, we've had these folks on our show. We're more than happy to bring them on the show to discuss this issue uh, to let you know that the elected officials that you have put there are not idly sitting by doing nothing. They are out here trying uh, to turn the ship. As Kendrick said, this is a big ship that has to turn. But our, our thoughts and prayers and our thank, our gratitude, uh, to the members of Congress who are going down there. I would recommend others to go uh, to, to be the heartbeat of America to get this message back to your constituents that we're going to do something to make this change. So, again, folks, feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628, and we're going to have the discussion uh, in regards to that. And I'll tell you what, I think it's important that we address these issues. And I think if there's ever an issue for Congress to come on board and get involved uh I believe there's an opportunity here to make that happen. So we're, we're excited about that. Uh, right now, we're going to be joined with by Elizabeth Mack. She's the organizer and writer for We Are Them Project. Um, she's going to be joining us, and uh, we are grateful for her time to have this discussion with us tonight. Are you there, Elizabeth? Yeah, hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure you've heard uh, the conversation we're having tonight. This is a part one of a part two series if not more, uh, dealing with the crisis at the border. Uh, this is some, this is stuff you don't even read about in a Hollywood script, uh, a horror movie, that what we're seeing down at the border. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Elizabeth, to our audience uh, and give us your thoughts as we get ready to get further into this, into this discussion uh, and see what remedies we have, hopefully, uh, to bring an end to this nightmare for these children and our immigrant brothers and sisters. Yes. Um, yeah, first off, thanks again for having me. Um, hi, um, viewers. Um, yeah, I'm Elizabeth Mack. I'm an organizer and writer for um, the We Are Them Project. It's a community campaign I created along with um, several volunteers across the U.S. Um, to support and fundraise for the Central American Asylum Seekers. And yeah, what we're seeing with the children in these detention centers that are facing so much inhumane abuse, it's, it's really, um, it's, there's a root cause that's, that goes even deeper than this. And there's, it's that we, America has this history of treating immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers as the other. Um, 
when Irish refugees were coming to Ellis Island in the 1840s and 1850s, they were described as lazy, filthy, and violent. Similar language that President Trump has um, referred to um, when he speaks about the Central American asylum seekers and Mexican immigrants. Um, also, Chinese immigrants in the late 1800s were considered uncivilized and unclean. Italian immigrants in um, the 1880s um, were con were considered ignorant of democracy and disposed to criminality. And then you have Filipino immigrants during the 1920s and 1930s that were considered inferior and untamed. And these are words that are verbatim. Um, and it just goes to show, and of course, um, the immigrant groups that aren't referenced here, of course, they've faced the similar, the same wave of the otherness. Um, and it just goes to show that we as a nation, while we do say we are a nation of immigrants, I think it's something we say but may not hear yet. And the fact that we have so much protesting going on with these um, with these camps, with these detention centers, shows that we as a people are waking up and are trying to end this pattern of otherness, of um, just xenophobia. No, for sure. Um... And I think you're right. This is being started. Uh, the, the bigotry against uh, immigrants, against minorities, all of it plays a part in this whole process. And yeah. people are more people are more not more uh, than what they are programmed to be, and what's allowed. When you have this in any administration, uh, well, it's going to filter down to a lot of people who are already racist against people that are of different color, different backgrounds, different races, it enhances, and it's, it's as if you are putting fuel on the fire of bigotry with the language and the rhetoric that we hear in this country. Uh, yeah. And that comes, that comes from the administration all the way down. And until that changes, uh, something has to happen. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, of course. I, total, I definitely agree with what you said. And uh, in my opinion, how we can change this is by owning our immigrantness, our asylum seekerness, our refugeeness. Um, unless um, uh, unless for people who have ancestors that came here through slavery or were native to this land, the rest of us we are we do we are the children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, great big grandchildren of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers who faced what the Central American people are facing now. Um, so it's just this, it's this perpetuation. And I think in order to heal this country, we have to own that. We have to own our otherness and we have to speak our family immigration story and show that, hey, I'm an, I am the product of uh, immigrants. I'm the product of asylum seekers. I'm the product of people that have come to this nation that are fleeing from persecution, economic distress, political unrest, um, and violence, much of what um, the Central American asylum seekers are fleeing from now. Um, so, yeah, there's just this cycle, this continual cycle, and until we address this, until we address our, our own, we own our own otherness and we admit it, I, I think it's going to, the mentality is going to continue of treating um, asylum seekers as animals, as like this subhuman language 
we've heard throughout history, including up to now with President Trump and other people in charge referring to asylum seekers as, as you know, terrorists and, you know, coming to hurt Americans. And, yeah, it's just we have to own that. And my question is, as I hear you talk, and the people like that, that we've talked about with this rhetoric, let me share this with you. I'm going to play a clip for you real quick as well, Elizabeth. Let our listeners okay. hear it. But listen to this carefully. Eighteen members of Congress have gone to the border to look at these conditions. Congressman Rashida uh, uh, Tlaib, Alexander Cortez, Judy Chu, Pete Aguilar, Aina Presley, Veronica Escobar, Judy Chu, Norma Torres, Sylvia Garcia, uh, Raul Galvia, Loria Tran, Joe Kennedy III, Mark Vesey, Ayanna Presley, Madeline Dean, Greg Stanton, members of Congress, our elected officials saying, what is going on? And to those yeah. that went down and those that will continue to go, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to say something has to be done. So it's not like America's crying out by itself. Our no. legislators are crying out as well. But as we said moments ago, there's a lot of members on that hill. It takes a unified effort, Republican and Democrat, to come together and say, look, this is where we set down party lines and say, these are children. How does a children become a terrorist? How do you view a child, eight years old, nine years old, ten years old, as a terrorist? And their life doesn't matter. This is important, and this is why the outcry in us as a uh, we as a, a nation and as the American people must say enough is enough. I want to play this clip, Elizabeth. I want to get your thoughts on it. The continued okay. horror at the border. Let's hear it. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez toured a uh, Customs and Border Patrol facility, and her reporting from what's happening in there is just disgusting. So, look, I hate covering these stories because they are so depressing, but I have to cover this. People need to know what is going on inside of these border facilities. So, uh, first off here, AOC tweets out, Now I've seen inside the facilities. It's not just the kids. It's everyone. People drinking out of toilets. Officers laughing in front of members of Congress. I brought it up to their superiors. They said, quote, officers are under stress and act out sometimes, end quote. No accountability. Drinking from toilets. This is going on in front of members of Congress. People are being treated like garbage. That's what's going on here. I mean, look, there's so much more I'm going to get to here, but... Ask yourself, if you're really having trouble understanding this, ask yourself, who's going to be on the right side of history? Looking back at this going on, who do you think will be on the right side of history? The Border Patrol agents telling people to drink out of toilets or the people trying to fight back against that? This is not hard. Now, I'm going to show uh, this video from California Congresswoman, uh, Congresswoman Judy Chu. Uh, she was also uh, touring these facilities and discussed what she saw. We just left the El Paso Border Patrol Station, and now we're going to the Clint Border Patrol Station. But what we saw was appalling and disgusting. Uh, we talked to a group of women uh, detainees who said that they didn't have running water, 
fact, uh, uh, one was an epileptic and she couldn't get her medication. They were separated from their children. They've been there over 50 days. Uh, one woman said that uh, the Border Patrol agent told her to, to, if she wanted water, just to drink from a toilet. And um, uh, we also were there just as a CBP Facebook group posted that they wanted to throw burritos at the Congress members and then had a very derogatory image of, of uh, one of our Congress members, uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. If, if they have these kind of derogatory feelings about us, you can only imagine what they're thinking about these detainees. These are the ones who are in charge of them. Well, there seriously has to be some change. Okay, so um, just working off what uh, Congresswoman Chu said there at the end of the video, where she brought up how there is a there's a, a, a Facebook group of uh, border control agents where let me just show you the headline here so this is this reporting was from ProPublica came out the same day that they're touring these facilities inside the secret border patrol Facebook group where agents joke about migrant deaths and post sexist memes the three-year-old group which has roughly 9,500 members shared derogatory comments about Latina lawmakers who plan to visit a controversial Texas detention facility on Monday calling them scumbuckets and hoes now, there's a lot more to this. I'm not going to go into it, uh, but I'll have a link to that article below the video, and you'll be discussing. That's all I'm going to say. Now, this group has 9,500 members, which is half of how many border agents there are in the country. So in total, there's about 20,000 border agents uh, across the U.S. This Facebook group has, has half of those members. Half of the people that are border agents are in this Facebook group, engaged in these kinds of conversations. Now, more from AOC's experience here in uh, these facilities. After I forced myself into a cell with a woman and began speaking to them, one of them described their treatment at the hands of officers as psychological warfare, waking them at odd hours for no reason, calling them whores, etc. Tell me what about this is due to lack of funding. So again, going off the fact that migrants are being told to drink out of toilets, obviously there is going to be more psychological warfare on top of that. So whether it's waking them up at odd hours or calling them whores, I mean, there's absolutely a lot more going on in these facilities than even these tweets are are, um, aware of or that AOC is aware of. Now, the lack of the funding comment is actually referring to a, uh, the, the House passing a Senate bill that does not deal with the injustice that is actually going on uh, in these facilities. So AOC was on CNN a few days ago discussing this. We passed a House version of this bill, which had far more humanitarian provisions and accountability, and accountability for the facilities that are abusing kids at our border. And Mitch McConnell immediately smacked it down in order to pass and ram through a Senate bill that has an enormous amount of funding for military, as well as no guardrails and no accountability for facilities that are abusing our kids. So that's the bill that's in front of us here in front of the House. However, we didn't even bother to negotiate. There are House amendments. We could have negotiated it in. We could have conferenced. We could have tried to get amendments in to get humanitarian provisions put in, to get consequences for facilities that abuse kids in. And instead, what we're doing is that we're immediately going to just saying yes 
to what got passed out of the Senate. So as usual, Democratic leaders have no spine. So oftentimes when I, you know, criticize the Democratic Party, it's because they aren't fighting for progressive policies like Medicare for all, for example. But this isn't even that. This is just the bare minimum. This is just being human. Fighting for toothpaste and soap for children. Fighting so that there's accountability at the facilities that are mistreating people. This isn't hard stuff, and they aren't even willing to do that. So, uh, one more tweet here from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying, Now I'm on my way to Clint, where uh, the Trump admin was denying children toothpaste and soap. This has been horrifying so far. It is hard to understate the enormity of the problem. We're talking systemic cruelty with a dehumanizing culture that treats them like animals. I ask you again, who do you think will be on the right side of history? Well, there you have it. Congresswoman Cortez from New York snaps in. Her passion is clear. She's begging lawmakers to come together. And and she saw it with her own eyes. Absolutely. And the fact is, like, you'll hear people from the other side of the aisle. They want to call her um, extreme leftist. They want to call her all kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, is when the rubber meets the road, she's down there. She's going checking out these facilities. She's going in and actually talking to the people that are there. She's empathizing with them. And then she's challenging her fellow lawmakers, her fellow representatives and senators and all of them. She's challenging everyone up there on the Hill to do something. And, and a delegation, in, in fairness to the other members of Congress that went with her. Right. Uh, as the list I just read, every member uh, is getting down. I saw reports yesterday, uh, Congresswoman uh, Judy Chu. Uh, who we've had the opportunity to meet with her people on several occasions there in D.C. Uh, we've actually honored her on this program for her, her humanitarian efforts uh, in coming to Congress and what she has done. So I don't think the lack of effort is there. Oh, no. I think it's a matter of this is so big. People may have to get on a plane and go down there because it's having an impact of those that have seen this. And again, we salute every member of Congress that's been there Elizabeth, when you hear that clip tonight, and down to the toilet, and and the kids not having soap, and what does that do to you? Oh, it's horrible. It's 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 beyond. You know, it's so inhumane. And um, what they're doing is against the Flores Settlement Agreement, um, which is something um, that was created in the 1800s. Um, it's allowed, it shows that children can only be held for a max of 20 days before they are released to their parents or sponsor in the U.S. And that when they are detained, they need to have a standard level of care. Of course, when children are drinking out of toilets, soiling themselves, hungry, sick, that's not the level of standard of care that they deserve. And that's in alignment with that agreement. So, yeah. of course, Border Patrol is, um, it, they're, they're not, it's not in alignment with the law. Um, 
and unfortunately, think I'm thankful for people like AOC and other Congress members who are voicing, you know, who are a voice about this issue. But it's we need more Congress officials to be on board. Um, yeah. And right now, um, it's not happening. So I think the people, the regular everyday Americans, um, are getting upset. And I think it's not just Democrats; it's Republicans, Independents. Um, because this is a human issue. It's not yeah. a, a uh, you know, one party or the other. Um, and I can, I'm, we need that type of, um, that pressure from the American people, and we are producing it, we are doing it to pressure Congress members to take action, because it's unacceptable. No, no, absolutely right, and this article comes from the New York Times. It states this. They said there is stench, soiled clothes, and no baths for migrant children at a Texas center. A chaotic scene of sickness and filth is unfolding in an overcrowded border station in Clint, Texas. This is where Miss Congresswoman Cortez was going to, as, she, as, as they stated in that report we just played, where hundreds of young people who have recently crossed the border are being held, according to lawyers who visited the facility this week. Some of the children have been there for over for nearly a month. Children as young as seven and eight. Many of them were enclosed, caked with snot and tears, are caring for infants they've just met, the lawyer said. Toddlers without diapers are relieving themselves in their pants. Teenage mothers are wearing clothes stained with breast milk. Most of the young detainees have not been able to shower or wash their clothes since they arrived at the facility. Almost a month without a shower, without hygiene products, without anything. Well, you're going to incorporate disease. This is, yeah, this is uncomprehendable. Go ahead, Elizabeth. No, it's, it's completely unacceptable. And it goes to show how um, the Border Patrol, and perhaps it's not consciously, but subconsciously, and perhaps in some few, hopefully just a very few, it is conscious that we are treating um, Central American asylum seekers, women, men, children, like animals, um, because I think there's still that belief in our society that refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers are the other. They're, you know, they're foreign. They're, they could hurt us. They could... Um, you know, ruin our economy, ruin the fabric of American society, which we hold so dear. Um, and it's unfortunate, and it, I do believe it is changing, and it's starting to change. But there's still a lot of work yet to go. Um, yes, it's just, it's, it's horrifying, it's unacceptable, and um, I am so grateful for the people who are protesting, who are vocalizing, who do have shows like this and other podcasts and Congress members to get the word out because I think we still have this belief that there's this misconception that um, all the inhumaneness that uh, America has gone through, like the Trail of Tears, like Manzanar, that was yesterday. That can never happen again. But unless we ch actively change it, history does repeat itself. Um, yes. And so we do have to 
be mindful of our history. And it is, the you know, the American Revolution, American ideals, it's an ongoing process. It's something we aspire to. It's not sure. yet a, you know, it's not yet a constant. And my hope no. is that it will be, and we are taking steps. And Congress people are taking steps, and average Americans are taking steps so that we do um, get to live up to the American ideals that I do believe, you know, Democrats, Republicans, independents, we, we do value, we do idealize, and we're, we are proud of. No, absolutely right, Elizabeth, and, and good point made on all those, on those issues. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Um, Elizabeth, how is your time looking for this evening? We, don't, we want to definitely be respectful of your time. Oh, um, I can go a little bit longer. Okay, we're going to be bringing on uh, a Senate candidate uh, is going to be joining us here at the top of the hour, uh, and I'm going to uh, respectfully come back to you and say, Elizabeth, you know, do you have any closing thoughts? We will respect your time as well as his. Uh, he's on a very tight schedule tonight. Uh, Kasim Rashid, running for Virginia Senate District 28, is going to be joining us here at the top of the hour as far as we know. We'll verify that. Your thoughts and your perspective have definitely added uh, the conversation, have made the conversation definitely uh, to another level. We appreciate you taking the time to spend it with us. And we're going to hit, get a little bit more from you when we come back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. Tonight addressing the nightmare at the border, uh, inhumane conditions that are out of control, and we humbly request and plead with our elected officials to come together to bring an end to this tragedy. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call one 
855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prison. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Welcome back to AJC Radio tonight as we address the nightmare at the border situation with our immigrant brothers and sisters. Children are dying at alarming numbers, and we address the issue tonight. Part one of our series, The Nightmare at the Border, we've been uh, honored tonight uh, with our very special guest, Elizabeth. Uh, And Elizabeth, are you back with us? We're trying to make contact. Elizabeth, are you there? Yes. Hi. Hey, thank you so much for uh, uh, for coming back on with us. We we understand you probably had a very busy day, but to be involved in this conversation and to have an opportunity to talk uh, along these lines, we appreciate you so very much uh, here at thank AJC you. Radio and your insight and, on that. Go ahead. No, no, I appreciate you for having me. Thank you. And you're welcome. And. As we were sitting here uh, during the break, uh, some of the members of Congress actually had statements uh, that they made. Representative Veronica Escobar, Democrat from Texas, writes, like Ocasio-Cortez, Escobar was specifically targeted within the Border Patrol officer Facebook group. She said the poor living conditions at the border facilities were a problem that came from a disconnection from our values, specifically pointing to officers involved, uh, as we heard earlier on the Facebook group of folks that had come together to join that group. Uh, Congresswoman Judy Chu uh, described what she saw as appalling and disgusting. She also expressed concern over the CBP Facebook group and what 
uh, was said about the integrity of voter officials. Uh, and again, these are our elected officials that have gotten down in the trenches with this issue, uh, and our thanks to them as well. Uh, uh, Pete Aguilar called the conditions heartbreaking and abhorrent. Uh, Representative Norma Torres of California in a tweet where she shared a video of herself being interviewed by Univision, Torres called for more transparency and demanded answers from the CBP about the poor living conditions within the border facilities. And we have more and more uh, that uh, that we're going to actually uh, uh, go to. So, uh, Elizabeth, it, that has to be encouraging uh, to hear members of Congress um, uh, speaking out for what they have saw, what they have seen at the border. What are your thoughts on that, and how important it is that these officials are doing this? I think it's it's to be admired. Yes, no, it's it's extremely important, and you know it needs to be continued, and it is continuing. Um, I I think what it comes down to is it it's a combination of Congress officials and the people demanding justice for these children and men and women. Um, And I think it comes down to also segueing to the language we use to describe Central American asylum seekers. Um, When they first started um, traveling from the Northern Triangle to um, the U.S., uh, President Trump did refer to them as a caravan. And just looking up in the dictionary what a caravan means, it's a vehicle equipped for living in, typically a trailer. Um, it's a group of people, especially um, traders, traveling together. Um, synonyms for this is a convoy, procession, column, um, company, troop, assemblage. Um, so there is some military connotation to it. There is, um, I mean, when I think of a caravan, I also can think of a caravan of gypsies, which unfortunately has a negative connotation as well. Um, So right then and there, from when they're just traveling to now when they're here in these detention centers, they've had that stamp of, of, you know, these are dangerous people. These people can't be trusted. Um, So I think it starts what we have to do, and I do have to call the media out for, I know it's tempting to write caravan, you know, as the title of these articles, because immediately people know what that is, but it also kind of reinforces that negative connotation that these people are dangerous. And so I would hope, especially on social media, in articles to come, that the language changes from caravan to what these people actually are, which are Central American asylum seekers. So I think it's a... Yeah, it's a combination of, yes, speaking out against this abuse, but actively changing the language on how we speak about the Central American asylum speakers. The speakers. For sure. I agree with you on that 100%, Elizabeth. Uh, let's bring in uh, Kasim Rashid. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mr. Rashid is a, uh, running for the Senate in Virginia, District 28. Uh Mr. Rashid, are you there? I'm here. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm I'm very very good. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Rashid. I know you have had some scheduling uh, issues and taking time out for this show tonight. I can't thank you enough for being part of this discussion. Uh, we will be respectful of your time. Whenever you have to take off, please let me know. 
and we will definitely accommodate you with that, okay? No, it's my privilege to be here, and uh, I'm grateful for the platform to speak to you and your audience. Thank you. And, uh, Mr. Rashid, I'll let you introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Uh, Elizabeth uh, is on the line. She's been giving uh, some conversation with Elizabeth Mack. She's organizing writer for the We Are Them Project. Uh, she's also, we're respecting her time. So, folks, both, both of you, please talk to us uh, so we are respectful and, and, and let you get on with whatever you have to get on with uh, uh, after this show. We appreciate that. Uh, Mr. Rashid, tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are about the border issue. Uh, we have uh, reached out and made a plea to our elected officials uh, to get involved uh, and to continue to do what they're doing and going down to these detention centers and letting their voice be heard, and they're doing a good job at that, as, as what you've heard thus far tonight. Give us your thoughts on what's going on down there, and what is it doing for you, for your campaign, and speaking to these issues that are so very important. Well, you know, my story in the United States begins as an immigrant. I'm an immigrant to this country, and I come from a country, uh, Pakistan, that heavily persecutes religious minorities, people like me. And I know firsthand due to my family's experience what it's like to escape violence to escape state section persecution to escape gang violence and when i look at the desperation in the eyes of these young children these uh, latino christian refugees and i call them christians on purpose because the majority of uh, these individuals are christian and while this administration claims to be the most Christian administration in the history of the country, their acts are anything but Christ-like. Uh, today, yeah. I'm a human rights lawyer, and I, I specialize on immigration issues, asylum and refugee issues. And when I look at just the sheer uh, depravity, the reprehensible actions being taken against these desperate individuals, uh, it reminds me that uh, we... If we become lax in our knowledge of history and of the mistakes made in yesteryear, we will continue to make those mistakes. And that's why it's extremely important that as citizens, as residents, we remain vigilant and united to protect the rights of, of all people, whether they are documented or not. Because to, be, uh, to protect human rights means you, you protect the rights of all human beings. It doesn't matter what citizenship you have. Uh, every human being deserves that basic dignity and protection that uh, that our constitution guarantees, and, and I think that is something that people on the right too often have forgotten, unfortunately, and uh, and certainly some people on the left as well. But uh, that's why we need to uphold justice and not uh, a political partisanship uh, to resolve this matter. No, absolutely right, uh, Mr. Rashid. And I'll tell you this: uh, the most heart wrenching story that I've heard thus far is the toddler with her father uh, drowning, trying to find freedom and escape dangers that they were running from. Uh, I read the story again last night uh, where the toddler tightly had her arm around her father's neck, uh, clinging to him for hope. that is the most heart-wrenching thing I've ever seen. Uh, this should move a nation, a world, not a political party, a world, to cry for this change to happen. Uh, when I first heard this story, and I'll get the, the comments from you and Elizabeth, when I first heard it, 
But then when I saw the images yesterday, I couldn't hold the tears because she's holding on to the only person that she saw that could help her, which was her father. And he equally held her, trying to find a place of freedom, which is everything that America has stood for until this time, in my opinion. We've never seen this in the history of this country on this level. What were your thoughts when you heard about that toddler and her father? Let me, I'll ask you, Elizabeth, first, and then, uh, Ms. Rashid, I'll get to you. Elizabeth, your thoughts? Um, it's horrible. Um, it's, there's, there's really no words to describe it. It's, I, it's just, I, yeah, it's, it's horrible to, that that happened. And it just, it, it goes, it's so dangerous to come here. And it shows what these Central American asylum seekers are willing to risk to come here and how it shows how bad it is from their to go from their homeland to a country where they don't speak the language. They're leaving their friends and family behind um, and just, you know, to risk it for hopefully a better life for themselves and their, their children. And it's just, it's, it's, Really, it's horrible that that happened. Absolutely right. Mr. Rashid, your thoughts? Well, I think we need to remember why this happened. It, it wasn't an accident. It was inevitable due to the metering policy of the U.S. government. And what that is is that the, the Border Patrol, at the behest of the White House, is deliberately delaying the ability to apply for asylum. When you read the asylum law that's on the USCIS website, the U.S. Customs and Immigration Portal website, it's very simple that you have to be within the United States. You you do not need to have a visa. You do not need to have any kind of documentation. You simply need to have a legitimate fear. You need to be able to prove that. And and, uh, the law mandates that uh, the government can only hold you for a few days and then they have to release you. Uh, rather than follow this very humane and basic law, which, by the way, results in over 90% of people returning for their asylum hearings because these are legitimate hearings, uh, yes. the government is metering them, deliberately making them suffer and wait and delay this human right to asylum. And his father, frustrated, watching his family suffer, uh, took a measure that was uh, obviously a very dangerous measure, but he was forced into it. And, and what really bothers me is the callousness of people like Ken Cuccinelli, the, the acting ICE director, who had the audacity to blame the father for his and his, his daughter's death. He didn't blame the administration that is engaging in this illegal metering policy. He didn't uh, blame the administration for these concentration camps. He didn't blame the fact that this is not a lack of resources that we have, but it's a lack of compassion. He actually blamed the victim for their own death. And, and I think this is unconscionable. And you're right. I think Americans of all stripes need to stand together and reject this kind of barbaric and draconian policy. We need to recognize the humanity and compassion that is necessary for us to move forward. And, and, it, and until we do that, this is not going to get any better. It's unfortunately going to get worse. And one of the reasons why I'm running for, for office 
is to take my advocacy as a human rights lawyer and turn it into policy because we need to have a seat at the table. It's no longer enough to sit on the sidelines. We need to have a seat at the table, and, and that's the kind of initiatives I'm trying to push forward uh, in this season, and I am confident we'll be successful in, in winning the seat and, and hopefully moving the ball forward on human rights in government. And Mr. Rashid, is this a state Virginia seat or for the Congress uh, in the United States Congress? This is for a Virginia state Senate. So there's, there's 40 state okay. senators. My, my opponent is a Republican who's sat unchallenged for 12 years and, and unfortunately proceeds lock and stuff with this administration and all of its inhumane policies. It's definitely time for a change. Absolutely. And we wish you luck uh, with that uh, with that endeavor. Elizabeth, we want to be respectful of your time. Uh, you've been with us since the bottom of the hour. We appreciate you so much. Uh, give us your closing thoughts, if, if, if you need to go now, on how do we push past this? What do we say to our listeners tonight and to our members of Congress uh, to continue their work in trying to come together as a body uh, to implement change uh, with this administration? What would your words be to them as well as to the American um, people? So my words would be um, keep protesting. There's a Light for Liberty protest. It's nationwide um, going on on Friday to protest these uh, detention centers. So I encourage anyone who can to come out and support that. Um, I also encourage you all to, um, to make an effort when speaking about the asylum seekers to say asylum seekers versus the caravan rhetoric we've heard so long. Um, Lastly, I would just say um, if you're open to it, to share your own family's immigration story. How did your uh, father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, great-great-grandparents come here? What were their struggles to get here? And, you know, what was – how did – you know – the bravery that they um, that they had to come here and to um, just overcome all these barriers that you we see the American uh, the Central American asylum seekers facing, and I hope I'm 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 hopeful that they will be granted asylum or at least a majority, and that they will eventually be able to. Um, settle into communities and their children and their grandchildren will then have the same stories that we have today about our relatives and ancestors who came here. No, absolutely right, Elizabeth. And uh, we're going to, again, reach out to our listeners tonight to get involved in all of the items that Elizabeth just named. Uh, Our voices have to be heard in this, on this issue. Uh, These are the children as well as the parents, the children, make no mistake about it are innocent. Innocent children are dying. And there was a time in this country where our immigrants, this country was built, founded on the backs of immigrants and hard workers that worked in every part of uh, capacity you can imagine in this country. These people matter. And not only as Americans, as those that seek asylum, those that seek help, as human beings, these are contributors to our nation, to our world. And that, again, is where we have to draw the line and say, look, I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. 
and what are we going to do about it? And uh, Elizabeth, thank you so much. I invite you back. I'll be in touch with you offline or our team. Uh, to, if you have time to come back for part two of this series on next Tuesday, uh, we will continue this discussion. Can't get it all done in a show, just not enough time. But I think what you've added to this conversation uh, is very, very important. And you have an open invitation to come back next Tuesday and continue this discussion as we continue our series on the nightmare at the border. And thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, take care. You have it, folks. Elizabeth Mack, uh, one of the soldiers, if you will, uh, unsung heroes uh, fighting for justice and uh, fighting this immigration problem. Mr. Rashid, we're coming right back. How much time do you have left? We've got about five minutes left. Okay. I'm going to let you go ahead and and give your uh, closing thoughts, if you will, as we continue to uh, battle this issue. I'll, I'll give you an open invitation also to come back next Tuesday. I know your schedule is outrageous, uh, very busy <laughs> for what you're doing. So, uh, hey, if you get a chance somewhere along the campaign trail uh, to give us a call back, uh, I think your insight is imperative, important, especially when you're talking about you yourself are an immigrant. Uh, you can speak to this issue a lot stronger uh, than a lot of people, and I think your insight is, is very, very important. Give us your closing thoughts. As I, I'll give the question to you as I gave to Elizabeth. How do we go forward? What do we say to the American people? What do we say to our members of Congress? As we send a plea tonight from AJC Radio and the Just Cause organization, we plead with our members of Congress, who we know and we've talked to, have a heart for this issue and want to change it, but it's going to take a collective effort, and we ask that they come together. That is our plea to Congress tonight. What are your thoughts, and what would you say? Well, I think the first thing I would tell people is to not lose hope and to keep things in perspective. And that perspective is that we didn't get to this place, this, this sunken place right now overnight. It took decades and generations of people whittling away at decency and civility and morality. And to jump out of this place is not going to happen overnight. But, uh, and this is the hope part, it can and will happen if you stay involved and engaged. Um, uh, we live in a clickbait culture, in a like culture, a retweet culture. We want instant gratification. That's not going to happen here. But what can happen is for you to play an active role in getting us back on track to a country dedicated to human rights and, and civility. And, and, and to that end, I'm not going to ask any of you to donate uh, money, but I will ask you to donate your time. Uh, we, we need your help. We want your help. The only way we win is by getting people involved, getting people at our rallies, at our events, uh, uh, knocking on doors for us, being calls for us. You can go to my website, RashidForVA.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm pretty easy to find. L- send us a message. Get us a note. We want to put you to work. We want to get you involved. And, and I think and I believe that when we stand together for these principles of compassion, civility, and justice, then it is inevitable that we will win. Uh, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King said that the, 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 the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And, and that's something that I live by. And, and I believe that when we work together, we will accomplish these attributes of civility and human rights that we all aspire for. Absolutely, Mr. Rashid. And uh, we will uh, follow you, follow your campaign and uh, reach out that others would get involved. I believe in your passion. I believe in your integrity and what you've brought to this show is clear. Uh, that it is about caring uh, about the American people, about people as a whole, 
and that type of attitude always brings good results. And we'll definitely do what we can to support you uh, in your efforts to be a leader of this nation and a trailblazer for those that will follow behind. We appreciate you so much uh, for your work. Thank you, brother. Thank you. God bless. We'll talk soon. Take care. And there you have it, Mr. Rashid, Kasim Rashid, running for the Virginia State Senate, uh, running to make a difference. And, uh, Samson, as we've heard from them tonight, uh, Elizabeth Mack, uh, Mr. Rashid, uh, seem to be on the same page. And that's finding help for these kids, for these human beings, for our immigrant brothers and sisters. Uh, And I think it's about us coming together as a country, as a Congress, as a Senate, as a nation to say we're going to do something to bring about this change. Your thoughts on those guests? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, both of them, you can tell, like, they're, they're heavily, heavily invested. Like, uh, Mr. Rashid, at being an Im- immigrant himself, and then, you know, Miss um, Mack reaching back to, you know, yes, she may have been born here, but she reached back and she realizes that, you know, yes, we are a nation, like you said earlier, that have been built on the backs, the blood, the sweat, the tears of immigrants. And now here it is, you know, uh, we come across this generation to where we think that we have a right to treat people that are trying to do exactly what our ancestors did as inferior. But they like they say, hey, let's set all that aside. Set that aside, you know, for right now, and let's treat them as humans. Treat them as human brothers and sisters. Get them in here, you know, because the fact of the matter is they just want to enjoy the same freedoms that you and I enjoy each and every day. They're fleeing here from, uh, like, a Mr. Rashid said he's fleeing from Pakistan, gang violence, terrorism. I mean, they're discriminating in any way, shape, form, or fashion they can, and they will kill you over there. These people are fleeing here to enjoy some of the basic freedoms that we wake up with and take for granted each and every day. I mean, you get up and go to your shower every day. You have your soap, you have your towels, you have drinking water. Uh, you're able to brush your teeth. Your things that we take for granted on a daily basis yep. is what these immigrants are crying out for. When I think of these children separated from their families, how scared a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, not seeing their mom or dad, and in cages, cages, uh, it cannot be acceptable. We come to a point in this country, we begin to accept it and everything. We have lost our way. That's true. Because these are human beings. These are people that cry, that fear. They are scared. Where is the compassion of a nation wherewith this country was built upon? Where have we gone? How do we get back home? Other side of the break, we'll continue this discussion William, we'll get your thoughts then. This is AJC Radio, the nightmare series at the border. A tough road ahead. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders facing trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18 
a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can can make a difference. difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. 
I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. Feel free to dial in 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. If you have thoughts or comments about this show and about what's going on at the border, we call it the Nightmare at the Border Series. We started tonight, and uh, I'll tell you what, folks, this stuff is not a Hollywood production. This is reality at its very, very real state. That children are dying at our borders, they are in detention center camps that are worse than any prison uh, in this country. You might as well say they're in solitary confinement. Uh, when you have kids and adults in cages as animals, uh, that's solitary confinement in the prison system. When you are not giving them food sufficient enough for them to have, this is solitary confinement not to folks that have broken the law not it's not even fair to those that have broken the law and there are guidelines that you must be followed in the treatment of inmates that are violated every day because people continue to do what they want to do and they have no value attached to human life as we've seen earlier on this program our members of congress have gone down now, 18 members that I got that I counted tonight, and I'm sure more will follow. Uh, and we've seen reports on the news, on the news outlets, members of Congress crying because of the horrific conditions that we have seen there. Uh, this is a reality. I believe it will prompt, and we plead to Congress tonight to please come together to make this happen. We understand with the current administration, these are challenges, but we're asking that we set, a, we set a way and set down partisan lines and say, what do we do to help the children? We, we went back to the horrific nightmare several months ago of kids being taken out of the arms of their parents. This has escalated now. You have kids, some not receiving any medication, no diagnosis uh, for anything. Kids. You think somewhere along the line, and I think that's why Congress is outraged as well. Kids are innocent. Do we do this to the innocent? 
without fear of repercussion? Do we want to shine as a nation that cares nothing about our immigrant brothers and sisters? With, let me make this very clear. Without the work of our immigrant brothers and sisters, America does not stand. Do you understand that? There is no America. There is no corporate surplus or these immigrants built this nation. Some of our leaders in Congress come from from immigrants. Our sitting president, parents, who were immigrants that came to this country. Does that not count for anything? Well, his wife. But how do we turn a blind eye to all of that? Yeah. And, and these people, and it is like, a fun, they're not a threat. They want to be Americans. That's what That's, that's what a they compliment want. to the country. That's, that's a serious compliment. They're here saying, you know what? We like the way that you represent yourselves, and we would like to be Americans too. They're not coming here to take, rob, and steal. And I do uh, appreciate uh, what Ms. Mack is saying about be careful how you label people. Mm-hmm. Don't label them. Now, think of those children. They don't know that they're migrants, immigrants. They don't know any. All they know is, hey, you know what? My dad or mom's taking me to America for a better life. That's all they know. They're children. Yes. So, but if you, if you give them a name and stick a label to them that dehumanizes them, it makes them easy to say, oh, they're a threat. Put them in a cage, and let's just try to forget about them. No, these are, these are people saying, you know what? I'm trying to get a better life, and I can't, I can't look down on anybody. Who is Drew looking at your child and he's he's starving or in danger and he may ask the question, Dad, what am I going to do when I grow up? Will I grow up? I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to move to a spot where I can give my child the best life possible. You can't you can't fault a parent for doing that. You can't. You got to put yourself in the shoes of some of these immigrants that are facing hostile violence where they're running from. They're running from something. If it was all peaches and cream, they're not running. The fact that they want to come to America speaks to the foundation of what America used to stand for. That's a compliment to the nation. Why does everybody want to come here? Because they see a better way. But if you get an administration in place that doesn't care about that, you have chaos that breaks out. This is chaos. The condition is horrific on children. Let's play the clip. Joining us now is Dr. Alicia Hart. She recently took care of some of the children who have been taken to immigration detention facilities in South Texas. Dr. Hart, thank you very much. I want to hear your personal experience, but first, are you heartened or troubled when you hear about that report that Nick just gave us about these kids and their parents now being DNA tested in an effort to try to identify them and and match them up again? Well, I hope that we work diligently to get these kids back to their parents. Um, And I think, unfortunately, if records haven't been kept, DNA is probably going to be our only way of doing that and ensuring these kids get back to a safe home. Okay, so you have encountered some of these kids um, without their parents, at emergency rooms. Tell us what condition they're in and what you've seen. 
Well, I took care of one child that really, really upset me. Um, Eight-year-old child that had been separated from his family um, either before he crossed over or after. I wasn't really sure. The child was being sent from a detention center to have uh, a medical clearance to go to a psychiatric facility. And he was just very quiet, very withdrawn and scared. And uh, when I approached him, he said he was sad and um, I just couldn't get a lot of information. I mean, a child at that age at eight and scared, they're not gonna give me history. And then unfortunately the staff with him couldn't provide much either. Um, they didn't know where the parents were and they weren't gonna allow us to contact the parents for more information either. They told you they knew where their parents, where his parents were and, they, and you believed them, but then why wasn't he with his parents? I don't know. I mean, this is the problem is that, I mean, I think that your anecdote of seeing this eight-year-old boy who was so upset and just surrounded by officials, some with a gun, it's not necessarily that there are physical, visible physical wounds, but the psychiatric wounds. I mean, he had been apart from his parents for a month and he was, they said that he was acting out, but what do they expect from an eight-year-old who's been separated from his parents for a month? (laughs) I don't know. As a mom, I don't understand it. I I just, I don't know what trauma this child had experienced in his home country. I don't know what trauma he had experienced on his journey, but he's here and we're not helping to fix that trauma and we're contributing to more trauma. And that's what, what worries me. I mean, he just made my heart hurt. I looked at him and I could see my own son and what he would do in that kind of situation. It was just, it was, it was awful. I mean, I've read your account of this and how affecting it was for you. And one of the problems was that they were saying if he didn't fix his behavior, this eight-year-old somehow, yeah. himself, if he didn't solve his psychiatric problems, they weren't going to send him back to his yeah, parents. Yeah, they, they told me that there was going to be a delay because of how he was acting. I was like, well, how do you expect the kid to act when they're not with their family and they're in a country where people don't speak the same language? I mean, this is normal to act that way. So I, I, I just, I couldn't reason with it. And it was one of the reasons I started saying something is he couldn't speak for himself and someone needed to. You've, you are worried that the U.S., that our federal officials are traumatizing these children, possibly for a long period of time. Uh, definitely so. And I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm not arguing that we have rules about immigration, but we have to be compassionate towards kids. And can we not find a solution that would be more rational and help these children heal? Uh, whatever solution it is, I'm not an expert in that area, but what we're doing now doesn't seem to be working or the right thing for kids. Tell, have you seen children with physical problems presenting at the emergency yeah i had a child with an injury and it was another situation um the providers with them couldn't even tell me uh if they knew what the parents were they couldn't give me any details they hadn't even witnessed the injury and and here i am uh fixing something on child where i can't get permission from the parents i don't know the child's allergies i don't know the child's past medical history it was it was a very frustrating encounter and it really puts me as a, a medical professional concerned about consent and do we have the right to allow others to consent for these children uh, when their parents are known locations the people who are bringing the children to you the officials or bringing the children who are hurt or who are traumatized to you, do they? Do you get any sense that they have a process? Is this chaotic? Do they have 
the right information, how will they ever find these kids' parents? I just, I, I, I get very mixed feedback. And most of the times they're sent with just essentially babysitters. Um, the, the child with the psychiatric illness was sent with someone who told me he was a clinician. And that was the only details I could get from him. Um, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't think he was a doctor. Um, and I, I just, he was very, very evasive anytime I asked him questions and would frequently answer, you don't need to know that. Well, Dr. Alicia Hart, we really appreciate talking to people who have had firsthand experience and who can tell us the condition that these kids are in and whether or not we should have any hope that they will be reunited with their parents in any sort of timely manner, and it doesn't sound good at the moment. In May, the Inspector General for the Department of Homeland Security warned of dangerous overcrowding among adult migrants housed at the Border Processing Center in El Paso, with up to 900 migrants being held at a facility designed for 125. In some cases, cells designed for 35 people were holding 155 people. Border Patrol agents told us some of the detainees had been held in standing room only conditions for days or weeks. The Inspector General's office said in its report, which noted that some detainees were observed standing on toilets in the cells to make room and gain breathing space, thus limiting access to the toilets. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas on Friday announced the deployment of a thousand new National Guard troops to the border to help respond to the continuing new arrivals which the governor said have amounted to more than 45,000 people from 52 countries over the past three weeks. If this country would implement a plan in place, we have the capability to do it. That would not, I'm standing on a toilet to breathe. And you think time is being taken. To make sure the human necessities of life, not special treatment, just human decency, to offer the necessities of life would be granted to these immigrants, is a disgrace. William, your thoughts? You know, this has been um, this has been a good show, and this is a, a very tough topic. But I was just sitting here thinking about, you know, what those kids must feel. Um, parents have shared with them hopes and dreams for a brighter day if they could just make it to the border, you know, make it to the United States. They, you know, and that's probably all that they know. They've been, they've been conditioned on this. They've been looking for this hope, hope for a brighter day, hope for tomorrow, leaving the oppression of their situation, the circumstances, looking for a brighter day. They probably don't speak English. They've had to endure you know, thousands of miles of travel on body, fatigue, everything. And this is what they're, they face. They're welcomed with this, even worse, probably worse conditions than what they've left. Uh, even some of the things that I, I was reading here, those that weren't in these detention areas or were released were released with ankle monitors, shackled, digital shackles. So ICE can come back to them later and 
you know, attempt to process them or do whatever. And like you said, this has become a prison system. They're imprisoning these people who are just looking for a brighter day, looking for hope, looking for a chance, looking for any the same dream that many shared coming to this country. They were born someplace else. They wanted to become a citizen looking for a dream, the American dream. I mean, this country is built on that. We've, we, have, we have talked about it. We've sold it globally. It is our dream. This is, this is a country of less than 400 million people, and, it, and everybody's vision of it is Hollywood. You know, it's the dream. Go to America. Live this big dream. But you better not be south of the border. If you were born south of the border, this is what you will face. It's a tragedy. It's a – in my mind, the cries of the children is what tears me apart. Should that not matter? And I again go back to that young toddler with her arm around her father's neck, drowned to death as they seek for hope which America was a place of hope. Uh, we must return to that. And you know, you were, you were talking, that picture right there is, is horrific. There's another one that they were showing and it showed the little girl. I mean, she may have been four or five or six and she'd been separated. She's standing there crying beside a man that she doesn't know. All this is strange, strange land, strange situation and circumstance. And they, and they were talking about this picture as being this iconic picture of the situation where this was the separation of families. This little girl is standing here crying wow. and, there, and finds no comfort in any of it because none of the situation is comforting. From the man dressed in green standing beside her that's getting ready to take her by the arm and take her someplace else to watching her parents leave, walk away unknown. Yeah. You know, this is the thing. And, and, and to your point, where, where are the mothers and the fathers? So when we plead, you know, though, that, that when you reach out to Congress, we're reaching out to the fathers and mothers that took the oath to represent and – you see what I'm saying? And, and, and they're down there. And Those yes. members are there. And we need them um, there. The new elected uh, Congresswoman Cortez came out the gate running. She's been running from the day her foot hit the pavement in Washington, D.C. And she has not stopped. Uh, we must salute and honor those members. Uh, again, we learned firsthand these members, these, these members have hearts of gold. We've seen it. We don't have to say, well, we heard this. We've seen it when our old eyes, and, uh, and to your point, William, members of Congress are mothers, they're fathers, they're grandfathers. <laughs> you know, they have grandchildren. So um, Just Cause, AJC Radio will tomorrow send a mass plea letter to the members of Congress we have met with and those that we haven't to please ask them for their help, as we know they are capable of doing, and they have some challenges uh, ahead, but if we come together as constituents to these members of Congress uh, and what we've heard already from the 18, just those that I've seen on the list I read earlier tonight that took a trip down there, you'd have to know the schedule of these members uh, to go down there and to do this in the midst of all that they do on Capitol Hill is uncomprehendable. Our hats go off to the night. Samson, your thoughts 
on the children and what we are dealing with this series again doing part two next Tuesday. Uh, I'm just grateful to be a part of this conversation and you know a part of this that's giving a voice to those people you know especially the children that are down there at the border. Um, again, the horrific. It's absolutely horrific situations they have to go through. I mean, sleeping on concrete floors, covering, trying to cover themselves up in like little mitlar uh, sheets to just for some sort of comfort, you know, separated from everything they've ever known. And we're pleading with our representatives, do something about it. You know, if you're representing us and we're trying to get our humanity back as a nation, go down there, look, and then go back to work do your job and get something done and you don't go back to work leaving that border we've heard the responses from congresswoman judy chu uh, i heard her last night mm-hmm. talking about the conditions uh and if you notice remember on this show we highlighted her um, spotlight on capitol hill talking about the challenges uh, that she went through coming and being a minority if you will and attaining the seat in congress uh, on the judiciary committee uh, she talked about the hard work that went involved. These are people that know it, yes. and uh, we are grateful for every uh, uh, effort that is being made by our members to, to make the situation change. We believe that is why this show goes uh, where it goes and what we want to talk about. We implore every advocacy organization that is about making a difference and an impact to get on this ride. Kendrick, your closing thoughts, please. I just think... Uh... This is, this is a, as you said before, this is a big issue, and it's something that needs to be taken seriously. And because it's such a large issue and it takes such time to change, it needs to, take, it needs to have full attention. This is not something we should put back on the back burner and say this is one of the issues that we should address. It should be looked at now because there's lives at stake, and you got to look at it. What if this was you? What if this was your son or cousin or someone you knew? You don't have to know them. This is just human dignity, and we should treat our people who are trying to just become American citizens better. No, absolutely right, and a very special thanks to our guest tonight, Elizabeth Mack, uh, and uh, candidate Kasem Rashid, uh, who is running for the Virginia Senate for District 28. Uh, Our very special thanks to those folks for joining us tonight. Your insight uh, could not be replaced. We appreciate it. As we go forward, ladies and gentlemen of America, uh, get involved. Let your voice be heard. Our prayers, our thoughts go to the families, to the children of the nightmare at the border. It continues our part two of this discussion next Tuesday. So next time, America, pray for each other and for the crisis at the border of this nation. This is AJC Radio. Good night. A tragic image from the southern border reveals the grim reality facing many Central American migrants who make the dangerous journey. We warn you, the photo you're about to see is disturbing. It shows a young father and his 23-month-old daughter who died trying to cross the Rio Grande in South Texas. They were found in shallow water a few hundred yards from where they tried to cross. The girl is still clinging to her father's neck. Omar Villafranca is outside a border facility in Clint, Texas. Omar, what do we know about this father and his child? 
Well, good morning. The father, Oscar uh, Alberto Martinez Ramirez, and his family had traveled from El Salvador, and they were hoping to claim asylum in the U.S. And they had actually uh, been around the border for a while when they decided on Sunday uh, to try to cross the Rio Grande. She says her husband and daughter made it across on the first attempt, but when he tried to go back for his wife, the toddler tried to follow and fell into the water. And again, I want to warn you, this picture is tough to look at. She says Martinez grabbed the toddler, but the two were swept away by the current, and they could not get out. Now, this tragic story comes as we are learning more about the migrant children who are being held in government facilities like the one behind me. Uh, it's worth noting that 100 children were returned here yesterday after more than 300 had been removed after reports came out that they were living in absolutely horrible conditions. CBP says they have less than 1,000 unaccompanied children in custody, and they're using this facility again to help streamline the transfer of the migrant children to the Department of Health and Human Services. Now, lawyers who inspected the facility last week told us that they talked to children who said that they were still hungry. They weren't able to shower or have access to soap that often. And also, they were sleeping on the hard concrete floors. But a CBP official told us, and I want to quote this, I personally don't believe these allegations. Gail? It is very tough to look at that picture. That picture says a lot. Thank you very much, Omar.